Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have book shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Welcome to episode 37. As always, you can find the podcast on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. Make sure you give us a follow on Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Uh, pretty soon there'll probably be some Patreon stuff coming up, so keep an eye on that. And uh, we're going to be looking for advertisers too, so keep an eye on that too, I guess. Uh, so this episode is going to be really fun. Uh, like I was just telling uh, the guys before we started recording, uh, I've never kind of done an episode with this many people before, so hopefully it won't get too wild, but uh, we'll see how it goes. So we're going to kind of run down two things. Uh, the Building on Fire album, Blueprint, Blueprint for a Space Romance, as well as uh, the tour that we've kind of talked about on here a few times. So first, we'll kind of go around and introduce everybody. Uh, I guess first, uh, Sean, how's everything going for you tonight, man? It's going good, man. All right, so Sean played guitar in Building on Fire. Uh, I guess next up, Tyler, who played drums uh, in Building on Fire. How's everything going for you tonight, man? Oh, it's going great. Just finished dinner. Here we go. That's <laughs> right. That's what I like to hear, man. All right, and then next up, he played bass and Billy on Fire. We got Matt. How's everything going for you tonight, Matt? Uh, it's going really good. Thanks for having us. <laughs> no problem. And uh, for like the 35th time up appearing on the podcast, we have Rob Antonucci, who also played guitar and, and Billy on Fire. How's everything going for you tonight, Rob? Good. I don't think I've been on 35 times, uh, but at least twice. I've listened to all of them, so. Yeah. They're great. It's, I look forward to them. It's definitely uh, good entertainment, so good work. I think officially this is your fourth or fifth time. We'd have to go back and look. but You're, you're probably right. Yeah. Discerning champion. Yeah, yeah exactly. So the, I guess the first thing I, I want to do before we jump into this, uh, we're going to talk about the tour at some point. Uh, I'd like to apologize since I had a very heavy hand in booking that and, you know... <laughs> Uh, I've obviously talked with Rob and we've had a couple laughs about it and you know the four of us are going to have some laughs about it tonight too but or the five of us I guess including me but uh, anytime we talk about this and especially watching the documentary I look back and I'm like man you know I had I had such such lofty expectations and and you know we'll get to it I guess but my my apology to all you guys <laughs> apology accepted <laughs> <laughs> all is forgiven it's okay yeah. It made for a really, really good thing to watch 20 years later. Or not <laughs> not quite 20, almost. I was yeah. also going to say, like, you maybe you feel like you failed in some way, but, like, I think we all failed on the tour. Like, yeah, there was a group, well, uh, group effort. There was a group effort there. <laughs> <laughs> a group failure. <laughs> but another thing that I will say like, while, watching it, while watching the documentary, I still kind of, like, envy you guys because you guys did still get to travel most of the country. Like, granted, it was kind of like a <laughs> – semi-depressing thing but it was like you still got to like you know see all these different parts of the country that i at that point had not seen and to this point a lot of them i still haven't seen so you know. yeah <clears throat> uh sure. and then i guess i guess missing from the conversation tonight will be jason uh who was vocalist for building on fire uh sean's cousin and uh sean i'm guessing you've kept in touch with him in years recent yeah i talked to him every once in a while um uh last year was pretty rough with everybody but uh i'll probably actually now that i think about it i might even see him on sunday we have a uh a family reunion of sorts uh so i'll, I'll uh, catch up with him probably there 
So usually what I do with each guest on a podcast is like I go through their background and their upbringing and their experiences that led them to the punk and hardcore. But again, having four people on here, that would probably take two hours. So <laughs> tonight, what we're going to do instead, what Rob and I were kind of discussing right before you guys started jumping on, is you guys all kind of came from Newark. And so I kind of want to talk about that first and then kind of like you guys' bands before <laughs> Building on Fire, and then we'll start talking more about Building on Fire. So, uh, Matt, if you kind of want to jump in on that a little bit, like just, you know, growing up in Newark and kind of how you met all these guys, I guess. Uh, sure. Um, I'm trying to think how I met everyone. I think I probably met Rob first, like as a child. Um, at church. At church. Yeah, we went to the same church. Super punk rock. We were at church. <laughs> we were four years old. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, like... I I don't I don't think I knew him that well, but I he was a couple years older than me. I knew him as a kid who could draw really well, like that was like you could draw like Disney people or like you know like Roger Rabbit really well or something. And I was really envious of that. I wanted to be able to do that and uh, never quite mastered it. But and then like many years later, he was like the guy who was a musician who could play guitar or whatever. I remember seeing his band Lithium at like the high school like on homecoming night they played like the high school auditorium i was like wow it's, they're like a real band and then many years later <laughs> i mean it for the time it seemed like a real band yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you had songs and you were on stage and you were playing it was like very real um True. and it was like little kid moshing in the <laughs> in front of the in front of the stage at the high school auditorium but uh, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. So then so I met Rob is very young and I sort of knew him, knew about him. And he was like this distant, a slightly distant person growing up. But I knew him and, you know, eventually we started this band. And then Sean, I think I met when I was, I think I met you at Mike Provo's birthday party when I was like 11 or something. I think we, we probably uh, uh, encountered each other at baseball in Little League too, probably at some oh, point. Oh, probably. Yeah, that's right. And then I used to see you like delivering newspapers because we both delivered newspapers as kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this is a real juicy stuff, <laughs> our background stuff. Um, and I didn't meet Tyler until I was in high school. He he was like, I think he might have been fifteen, and I was seventeen or something. Um, but he was known as like a good drummer, and he was in a band called Downfall. That's I'm just telling you what I remember. <laughs> and I remember one time, I, I don't know, I feel like I'm telling really boring stories, but Tyler was like known as a good drummer. And I remember going with Sean to like ask him if he would play drums in Sean's band. And you were like, no, I've waked way too many projects. It was, it was like, like a 15 year old kid was like, wait, he's booked. Like he can't really get <laughs> Um, I love that. That's great. And, I don't recall that. That's awesome. And, and I remember like there were other kids with us who were laughing. They're like, who, is, who the fuck does this guy think he is? He has too many projects or whatever. And I was like, what are those projects? They said, well, I want to know about them, you know? And then eventually we asked, Sean and I started a band and asked Tyler to play with us. That was the Chuds that started in high school. Is that, that how it started? I thought it was you and you and Tyler and then kind of glommed on no, I thought it was me and you. Yeah, Sean, it was and you we two guys, like, and then you guys asked we're, me. Yeah. We were like, who should we get to play drums? And we're like, Tyler, maybe he's free. <laughs> maybe he doesn't have so many projects. Yeah, I was going to say, how does, Brady, how does Brady come into the fold? 
Um, uh, much later, I think. He joined when we were maybe in college or something. So you were a three-piece, and then he joined later on? Yeah. Yeah. Even earlier, my brother was in there, too. He played guitar. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. We started as a trio, then brought him in, and then it wasn't just, it just wasn't working, so we went back to being a trio. Fuck, I forgot about that. And then that. eventually, Brady started playing guitar and then ended up in the band. Yeah. Sorry, uh, that doesn't really tell you anything about Newark, but it's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Whenever I do these episodes, I always refer to like Newark or Fairport or like any of these towns. Like everybody who's from around here pretty much is familiar with the towns, but I guess it's more like for people who are not from here that might listen, which is probably like, you know, five people. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, I don't know what it is about Newark. Like there was that period in the 90s when people were in bands and like, I don't know if that's still a thing now, but. Yeah, it was just a moment was a, where there, there was just a hub of kids like just all playing music. There was only yeah, you know, a handful of us, six or seven maybe. There was yeah. one band that was older than me and Scott and Chad even. And I can't remember the name of that band. I think Rick Mader was in it. Um, but for people listening, Newark, the, the funny thing is, obviously Newark is a not really a suburb of Rochester, but we're on the outskirts of Rochester. But the funny thing that we loved to embrace in our band is that we would get on stage and we would tell people we were from Newark. Like we wouldn't even say Buffalo or Rochester. We embraced the fact that we were all from the same town. And I'm sure people would think it's New Jersey. People would think, oh, Newark, New Jersey. There's probably people listening now that are like assuming we're all from Newark, New Jersey. No, Newark, New York is, what are we, 40, 35 minutes outside of the city? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right between so, Syracuse and Rochester. Yeah, yeah. Just a tiny town where you would think, like, well, where a lot of times nothing happens, but then somehow there was this weird, like, generational thing where there was all these kids playing in bands over the course of like ten years or something. Yeah, it's like a freak thing. And Newark is not. I don't think it has any other musical history that i'd actually like to know more about that but i don't know if it does i don't know just dad bands dad bands it's where uh the the guy who wrote the lost weekend is from newark the the book about like just alcoholic despair just (laughs) dissolute uh alcoholic guy and uh we used to have the rose gardens (laughs) very punk rock yeah but then the family that owned them moved to portland i think place to you know so <laughs> my now obviously rob you had you you were on the first two episodes so if, if people are really interested in diving deep into your musical history they can listen to those um but i think know, all people really need to know is that i'm i grew up in newark went to college in buffalo did a handful of bands in buffalo and then from there is when i met back up with these guys i don't know if that if that's the part in matt's story right now that we're ready for or not I had one other question though that I was curious about before we jump into that. Like you just mentioned, you went to school in Buffalo, and now I know you guys, the other guys, played in bands in Newark, and especially Tyler had a bunch of projects going on. Um, <laughs> did any of you guys have did any of this overlap while you were still in Newark? I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Like, or were you already in Buffalo by the time these guys all started playing in bands? I think I was in mm. Buffalo by then because I went, I went off to school in fall of '96. So it depends on when these guys started up the band. 
start of the chuds I is think what we're talking about now. This was 97, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I remember you coming home and, and doing that thing with uh, him and Scott um, and Chad. Yeah. Yep. The fish theory. And that was around the time that I think, I don't know if the chuds were playing that or if it was my other band that played that, that show at the, uh, at the Fireman's Field there in Marble Town. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I think that we was have that on the video. Yeah. yeah, there's a little bit of overlap there. So when I first started doing the podcast, I had mentioned to Sean that it would be interesting to do a Chud's deep dive at some point, and, and he said that he said that there would be about five people that want, would want to hear that, and at least half of those Four, five maybe. people. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, at least half of those people are here right <laughs> now, too. So, um, you know <laughs> – We'll just kind of be quick to kind of, you know, cover the, the time in between, though. And also, musically, obviously, Building on Fire and the Chud sounded a lot different. So I'm kind of curious, you know, when you guys started trying to, you know, shift the music a little bit there. So the Chuds, and the other thing you guys kind of just mentioned is that the Chuds started in 97? Yeah. Yep. Like fall 97. Yeah. Because we all met you guys, I feel like, well, I anyways, it was more like like late 98, early 99 even. Like, were you guys connecting with Rochester in the beginning or more like like towards the time frame that I'm talking about? No, in the beginning, uh, we just, we stayed in Newark for the beginning. And it wasn't until, I think Brady met all the Fairport kids at Fredonia that we started kind of hooking up with. Being able to play it. Rochester yep. gigs and, and meet up the Standfast guys. And um, that's what I remember. For the, the longest time, it felt like an eternity. We just played Newark, played out in the field or fucking practiced and didn't really do a whole lot. We just recorded a lot, but that was – we didn't really go anywhere for that first year and a half. I don't think we knew how, really. We didn't. And yeah. I remember the – if you remember the first couple gigs we did, we had the practice amps, and everybody would show up with their cabs, and we're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> You actually got to bring like real gear to this shit. Like, <laughs> there are our first like three course, days. Yeah. We showed up with our combo hands and like oh, faux pas. It's kind of gutsy in retrospect. <laughs> Show up with practice amps. It, gutsier, <laughs> naive, <laughs> charming, very charming. Yeah. There was a Chuds demo that I always enjoyed, and uh, my friend Rob's friend Brian Allerton always. Uh, would sing uh, Where Are My Keys whenever he would lose his keys. Oh, that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, that was a classic Chud song. So I guess <laughs> I guess while we're talking about the Chuds, like how guys would you guys describe like the sound for anybody who hasn't probably most people who are listening haven't hadn't heard you guys before? That's sloppy popish punk, I guess. Not not yeah. the pop punk that you would think of like no effects or anything like that, but um just a little bit more melodic than crusty punk i guess i don't know juvenile yeah pretty juvenile fun i i think when we started the stuff that i liked was the it was like early 80s hardcore like the like those early early discord singles and uh like soa and teen idols and stuff and then like stuff from the west coast circle jerks group sex and uh maybe descendants or something like milo goes college stuff yeah kennedy's yeah, I remember those being uh, influences on you guys. Dead Milkman too, like the humor of the Dead Milkman or something like that kind of thing. <laughs> I think yeah. that's the key to to getting yeah. the shots. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, they are. Yeah, that definitely is like a big uh, 
influence but without musically being an influence i guess yeah the spirit of big lizard in my backyard was like yeah. huge well, we for me we weren't tough and we weren't angry enough all we had was our you know newark suburban farm town fucking bullshit thing and <laughs> we didn't really have anything to be that mad about or uh, we weren't certainly weren't tough and once you finally could make jokes in your music and it kind of made it okay and that's that was really the chuds embracing that dead milkman stuff yeah yeah and that's what i was going to say definitely like i remember you guys being like very humorous and having a lot of funny like quirky like inside jokes that you guys would have like like when you were playing or just like hanging out and stuff and a lot of times as an outsider when you see people like that you're like man what's the fuck so funny like, what what that's kind of ridiculous you know but you just saw you guys having so much fun with it that it's like you couldn't help but laugh you know what i mean so it was it was definitely a good time and then I, yeah. i'm counting down the minute till we start devolving into that kind of uh inside joke humor stuff that, yeah that carried on to the building on fire honestly. i don't think it ever yeah. goes away well, it's like Rob said, it's it's the Newark thing. It's just we came to such a small, shitty town that yeah, all we had was kind of our weird sense of humor, and it, we all so came from the same place, so we all had the same kind of building blocks. And so to speak. a perfect transition there with what Tyler said is, I was finishing up school in Buffalo, and I think I was still going to to UB when we started the band. Yeah, I I was. So I had been going home and uh, working in Newark. I was working at uh, this place called Pontillo's Pizza that we all love. And we, uh, we would all have our, we would have band practice and we would always go to Pontillo's Pizza. We all loved going to Pontillo's. So uh, we ended up kind of reconnecting and I had left the band that I was doing in, in, in Buffalo and either I had heard the Chuds or I had seen them. And just the fact that, these guys that I have known my whole life were doing music and I'm, I'm not sure the, how the end worked out with the chuds, but that started to kind of dissolve and you guys can elaborate on that. But at the same time, I was like, Hey, I would love to do a band with you guys. Uh, let's do something. And it just all kind of made sense and it all, um, it meshed really easy right away. Um, so how did, how did the chuds sort of break up there? Does anyone have a better recollection of how it formed? I think we were just, from what I recall, we were just excited that you wanted to jam with us. And it, we started doing that and kind of prioritizing that over the Chuds. We still love the Chuds. And still, it wasn't waning at that moment. But after six months of doing Building on Fire and seeing it gain momentum, we were kind of just like, yeah. I think, yeah. We could kind of leave this part behind. I think we were just kind of growing as people or as our tastes were changing or whatever. I don't know. I remember being frustrated that we kept getting billed as like a joke band because <laughs> yeah, we were funny and we had that stuff, but as we went on, we really wanted to be taken a little more seriously than, than that. And like you just said, Matt, just we were yeah. growing and it just, that just didn't seem to fit anymore. It's probably hard for people to take a band called the Chuds seriously. Like, yeah, that's honestly. the <laughs> like, but you know. So what you guys are talking about is, is definitely kind of what, what, what bring up my next point, I guess too, is, obviously you guys knew you wanted to kind of be more taken more seriously and, and obviously probably play in a more serious band how like did you guys like approach rob first and tell him that or did like did rob you already knew that you liked their music like it just seems kind of like everything kind of i guess worked out like per like perfectly at that point you know what i mean like i truly don't remember uh i i think i kind of 
since I went back in, in to Newark in the summertime and was working at Pontillo's and these guys were always around. I mean, Newark's a small town. I mean, you kind of know everybody and everybody's around and you know what's going on. And I had heard that they were doing the chuds and they're all great musicians. And I think it just kind of clicked like, hey, we're all from Newark. We all like punk and hardcore. Let's do a band. Uh, and I think I think it just seems so natural. I think that's why we don't remember the origin is we've known each other our whole lives. It wasn't like, hey, I'm meeting these guys for the first time. I mean, I didn't know Tyler as well. I knew the other two guys, but, uh, and then Jason, who we'll get to in a second, I, I knew Jason really well because Jason and I had been skateboarding together since middle school. So he's a couple years older than me and I had known him really well. So the nice thing about this is when it formed, it was, it, there was no get to know, hey, I, I'm meeting this bandmate for the first time or this time or this time. It's, okay, these are guys I grew up with. Now we just happen to be doing this together. So we just kind of meshed and, and, and went from there. I, I remember um, we, also, we also worked all at Hammett's. Like you, right, Jason, and that was. I remember that being like around the same time as we started doing it. Well, and I remember we might have talked at some point, Rob, you and I, and brought me over to your house, and we went under your basement, and we you were showing me these these riffs that you had because you were heavy into like sugar glass jaw, and those you you showed me like um, a couple of the the riffs for the song that we ended up putting on that seven inch. Um, so I, I think that that was kind of like the, the starting point that I remember. And I, I definitely remember Hammett's being like a big influence because like mm-hmm. we just hung out all the time at work, you know, uh, working the, you know, the midnight, the third shift. Yeah. And we worked like what? 11 to seven, 11 PM to yep. 7 AM. Yeah. And building, uh, uh, forts with boxes so that you could hide, hide behind. <laughs> I should try that at my job. Uh, It works pretty good. So it sounds like, it sounds like you guys kind of had like the four of you knew you guys were going to do the band. Then did you guys already kind of have Jason in mind as a vocalist too? Then Jason uh, always wanted to be in a band. He was actually in a band briefly with uh, John 25 called canvas. um, That played. And uh, you know, our, our neck of the woods. Um, so he he had already had a little bit of experience, but I I knew he always wanted to be you know, like a front man kind of thing. So I think that uh, and he he was working in Hammets too. So I think that kind of just naturally uh, led into him doing that with us. I don't think it was a, like a formal. Uh, Would you uh, uh, enjoy being in our band, sir? <laughs> I think I also um, I saw Canvas one time. Maybe you were there too, Sean. You just we mentioned the Canada show. We went with Mel. I think we went with Mel. The only thing FLCC. I remembered. It was at FLCC. Right, right, right. But I remember that show. I was like so confused because he was the singer. And like at one point he just walked out. But they kept playing. <laughs> <laughs> and then later I found out like, oh, that's like once he joined Billy on Fire. I was like, oh, he's the guy. He's the guy who just walked out. It was great. Awesome. I saw, I saw Canvas play a couple times, but I don't remember him being the vocalist, but I didn't know him back then. I was only like 15 or 16. I think it was short. I think it was short lived with him. I think he had, I think he had, I think when we saw him, he may have been like a dual vocal thing. Uh, um, mm-hmm. And I think that it was short lived with them. 
Yeah, I don't know who the vocalist was when I saw him. I know Dan Butson played guitar for them. He's I'm gonna have him on a future episode. He played guitar in like something sacred and yes. other bands too. Yep. He lives in New Orleans now. Yeah, yeah, he's got some pretty cool New Orleans type stories to tell. So but yeah, so I guess that kind of uh describes the beginning of the band and everything kind of seemed to pick up pretty quickly because the seven inch like you guys were talking about and the full length which we're gonna get to in a second like that that was all yeah. like within a year of of the band forming right or with two uh, seven inches like, and then and then yeah it was like we did a split with arm's length too it was kind of nuts to be honest with you i'd never yeah, experienced we, anything like that. i remember we started jamming in may recorded the stuff for the seven inch in July and August, and then the record was out in October. I so do that. <laughs> it wasn't even six months, really. Yeah, and I think that September I still had a, a class at UB, and our assignment uh, in art school at UB, I was going to art school there, and the assignment was to create a, a packaging for a product, and it was perfect timing because I was like, packaging for a product? How about a, how about a seven inch? So. Um, with the help of everybody in the band, a lot of the ideas came from Tyler, but we ended up uh, doing this, uh, this seven inch fold out that looked like a matchbook. So if anyone is at home who, who, who's seen it, they can picture it in their head, but picture what a matchbook looks like, how it unfolds. That's, that's how uh, the seven inch unfolded. And, and Tyler, you put that out, didn't you? Uh, I think Jay actually uh, fronted up the, the cash for it. Yeah, okay. he did. I think you still got. I helped. I get. I got the covers done. So yeah, that's the early. I guess that's the early era we're talking about. And now we're kind of jumping into the full length, though. And I guess uh, Hex obviously comes into play there too. How now? Did he? Did he approach you guys right away about doing something, or was it kind of? Well, he talks about in his episode a little bit. Um, It was kind of the first time that I I had worked with him, and I ended up working with him a, a few more times afterward, but. I'd gotten to know Hex really well, and this we're talking about Ryan Hex, who put out the album for um, uh, for Hex Records. He's from Syracuse, does a record label. He's been in a lot of different bands. Uh, he ended up putting out um, this record that we're going to talk about called Blueprint for a Space Romance. And, um, you know, we had this relationship already because we both went to college in Buffalo, and then I had moved home. Uh, and then he had moved home to, to Syracuse and then we started playing out and we had the two releases out already and it, uh, we were interested in putting something out on his label and it was one of the earlier releases. I'm trying to remember what was before that. Like, I think he did Inkling before that. He did a seven yeah. inch with Every Didn't Time that, I every Die. Time I die thing? Yes, he did yeah. Every Time I Die's first release. And I think there were a few others. can't remember what number. Uh, I think I have it over there, but. I can look up what number release it was, but uh, the it was five, five, yeah, You're probably five right. Comes to mind. So the the recording for this, I know I'm trying to push forward a little bit so we don't like get bogged down in semantics here, but so we ended up recording in Buffalo with a guy whose name I don't remember, and I know one of you guys will. He uh, recorded for one of my older bands uh, called Gray in Between. Uh, which I was in a band with a guy called uh, Vic Lazar and uh, a couple other guys. And he had recorded that band and that band was kind of like an indie rock band. And I thought that he did a really nice job on it. I'm sure one of you three can remember. What was the name of the guy that recorded that? I should remember this. Yeah. I was just looking at the liner notes to that album because I just listened to it the other day. I don't remember. I don't remember. 
I just remember we had a kind of an aversion to going back to Watchmen. We didn't want that clicky same sound that, that Doug would record everybody with. So we wanted something that set set it apart a little bit different. And this was the only other person that kind of came to the fold. It was recorded and mixed by Derek Prelwitz. Oh, I was right. In Derek. Buffalo, New York, May through June 2001 AD. Yeah. And I guess it's, I was going to ask you guys, I know we're going back like 20 years, but, and, and it kind of says it in the liner notes there, but it's not an exact amount of time. Like, do you guys remember how many like days or weeks a session was to record? Like, was it a long, because sometimes a band gets a full length on quickly, but sometimes, you know what I mean? It takes like a, a few weeks or, or months even. No, nah, it was a couple of days. I think we did most of it in three days and then we came back from mixing like a little while later. Yep. It was um, a short, a short thing. The only real story I, or the, there's maybe two anecdotes I'll share from the recording. Maybe you guys remember more. So we lived in the suburbs in, in Buffalo. I can't remember specifically where, maybe Cheektowaga. If I were to guess, I think it was Cheektowaga. But he, um, it was on the second story of his house where he lived. And I remember one part where there was something smashed and we broke glass everywhere. Do you guys remember that? And yep. why, how did that happen? Yeah, it's, on, it's on the end of the record. It, it, the vacuuming yeah. in the in the And then we vacuumed. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to guess Tyler remembers that. We were just fucking around making noise at the end of that, uh, the, that song, whatever the last song is. Um, and we were messing around clinking bottles. And either me or Jay or somebody ended up breaking the bottle. So we're like, oh shit, you can hear somebody go, oh shit, in the middle of it. And um, and then so we wrapped the recording and we said, oh, it'd be funny is, you know, 30 seconds of silence and then a vacuum. <laughs> you know, the, so we, I remember we put mics around the vacuum and That's pretty mic the sound of the, the glass being <laughs> sucked up and threw that at the end. And that's and what leads of, was Rob's idea yeah. to go from each release, and that's why the the EP that you ended up putting out, Josh, is uh, starts yeah. with the breaking glass. Uh, yeah, that was kind of a big thing the, for us that we really wanted to do thematically. What Tyler said is the end of the previous record, whatever we were doing at the end of the previous record, we start the next record with either either a sound or a sample or something that is similar to what we did previously and I, I thought that was really cool that, uh, that that was one of the great things about this band is everyone was so open to doing these crazy artistic things and that's why i really you know enjoyed working with with all of these guys is because it wasn't just this cookie cutter like we would have a song with you know, a dark kind of heavier part and then go into something really beautiful and melodic and it was just great to be working with people that were so open so um one thing i really enjoyed about doing this band yeah that was definitely a really good time period uh, especially for rochester a lot of creative people uh, a lot of really good people speaking of which obviously we'll get to in a second with uh, the the fun 2001 tour that we'll talk about in a little bit but i guess before we jump into that is there is there more stuff you guys want to dive into with the uh, full length or anything like that i i like i was I didn't know how to feel about it when I heard, I think it was you and Greg talking about it being like 20 years since it came out. And I was like, Oh God. And I decided like, I didn't have negative feelings about it, but I, I was, I felt like, Oh, it's just this thing I used to do. And I went back and listened to it and I was like, wow, 
this is surprisingly good. Like I felt real positive about it. And I was like, these songs are good. Um, they were structured well, and I was really young and did a good thing. <laughs> and I, was, I, was, I came away pretty proud of, proud of it. Yeah, I am too. Listen to it a couple of years ago with just like, oh, fuck, I don't want to listen to this. And by the time we got to the end, it was like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. I wasn't like, holy shit, this is great. But it definitely wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be going back. Because I'm not a big nostalgic person. I don't like to relive shit. And, um, you know, it's kind of a thing and then you move on and, but no, it, it I, I don't know if I'd say it holds up, but it, uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be going back and listening to something that a bunch of jerk offs made when they were like 19 to 22 or whatever. Yeah. I think that was like, that was kind of how I felt about it too. I was like, wow, we look like it's a pretty complex album for people who like, we're pretty young and mostly untrained. Like, I, I mean, I had never been in a band like Building on Fire before. And like, just kind of to look at like all the stuff we did in that first year, it's like, what the fuck? Like, how did we do this? Like, yeah, we got a lot of shit. It. Yeah. Seemed like we did a lot that first year. Yeah. It's like, we were pretty ambitious. So it's was, um, I'll give us credit for that. We were like very ambitious at like a young age and just kind of went for it. Well, one thing that's made it really easy for me to do this podcast that relates to what you guys are talking about is there was a ridiculously good network of people in Rochester, Buffalo, and Syracuse in that time period, you know, like, like helping out with shows, record yeah. labels, distros, bands, and even just people going to shows, you know what I mean? Like, I know everybody says like, like my, my era was this and that, or, or living the present, whatever you want to say, but that era was, was, was really good. You know, like everything I just named, like, I haven't seen a connection of, of people like that since then, you know? Agreed. Yeah, I mean, there have been different scenes. I mean, there's, there was another kind of hardcore scene that cycled through in the 2010s that was like, had a very different kind of feel to it, but it was a similar kind of thing. I mean, I don't know if the connections between like Syracuse and Buffalo were the same, but it was like, it was just like the next, it was like the next generation or something. But that kind of stuff continues. It's just like, it's it can be hard to like keep in touch with yeah. stuff. Like I can't keep in touch with everything, yeah. but. No, I'm definitely not trying to shit on like current or anything that's happened since. Cause like, I, oh, I, no, 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 I, I, I didn't think so, but yeah. Cause I like a lot of current stuff, you know what I mean? But yeah. I definitely think that like for that, for, I know I'm sure there was shit in the eighties and shit like that. That was really cool too. But like, yeah, for, same. Yeah. But for what we experienced, like, again, like, and as we'll get to with like Hellfest and stuff too, like it, it obviously it had like a, a notoriety too, but like even that, like just for networking and stuff, like you, like that was like a, a blueprint, you know, no pun intended, I guess. Um, for like like future hardcore festivals too you know and and to be like around for something like that is pretty cool too but yeah so i guess kind of jumping into like the tour talk i guess a little bit um i had mentioned standfast was obviously uh, a pretty good local connection at the time and i had put their record out um i want to say a year before this tour happened so i think everything was all kind of happening right around the same time basically you know with you guys and them and uh, you guys can jump in on this anytime, obviously, but I feel like there was definitely like a strong like bond of like friendship and connection between the two bands. And I, I really don't know whose idea it was to book this tour. Again, you guys, if you guys remember when you guys can jump in, like I know I at some point was like, I'll help with it. Like just kind of thinking like I had booked a shows for bands and I had seen other tours being booked. So I was like, oh, it'd be easy just to, you know, look at some message board and get some email addresses and, and just get some shows booked for a band, you know, especially because people owe me favors since I booked their band shows, you know? 
but obviously as we'll talk about in the uh, actual tour that it didn't quite work out that way but do any of you guys remember like kind of how the whole idea came about for doing this i don't remember I have no I fucking like idea Sandfast. i just remember having like meetings at the apartment where i live with john 25 and jenny annika we ha- i feel like i don't know i don't know who was in charge of those meetings maybe it was brian van etten or maybe it was rory van Grohl or i don't i don't remember Hex was probably there too. I don't know if he had a hand in kind of putting that together. At some point, once once we all kind of realized that I I couldn't get the whole well not the whole thing but even nearly the whole thing booked, like Hex jumped in and started helping book some of the shows. So him and I definitely collectively put the shows together. I don't I don't remember exactly when he when he got involved either, obviously, but I know the idea was you know to to get two Rochester bands like out there in the U.S. and kind of to try to you know get these albums out there, obviously, and you know as we'll get to with the how many shows you guys ended up playing in like three weeks, you know, <laughs> but Rob, you don't remember how this all came together too much more than we've discussed either. Or? No, uh, I think at that point I had uh, taken a job teaching in uh, Geneseo, New York. So I think it was, it was definitely going to have to happen during the summer because I was going to have to uh, teach in September. So I had the, the summers wide open. Um, I remember that it had to do with that. Other things that, that was always, very interesting to me is that uh, Matt was going to RIT at the time and he was in film school. And I thought that it would, and this is going to be a question for Matt here in a second, is that what ended up happening, and I'm wondering how this came to be, is that um, we had this whole US tour booked, Billy on Fire and Stand Fast. At what point, Matt, did you decide you were going to make the summer tour into a documentary? <laughs> well, I had to propose something because um, I was in film school. I had to propose my senior thesis project, which is what the film became. Um, I had to propose it at the end of my junior year. So that would have been 2000 or May of 2001 or something. And I, we must have started like planning this or if the seed of it was there at least initially because I was like, because I didn't know what the fuck else to do. And then we were talking about doing a tour. I was like, I'll, that's it. That's the idea. I'll do the, we'll do a documentary on the tour. Um, so it had to have been sometime in May because I ha- would have had to write up a whole proposal for it and pitch it, basically pitch it to a bunch of professors or whatever. So yeah, I think that was, must have been May or something. And I don't so know how far along to- we were in the planning of the tour. I was like, really hope this works out because they just said yes to the film. So, and now we have to do it which is like kind of a running thing throughout the making of that movie. Like really hope this keeps going because my, my, uh, my degree is on the line or whatever. So the last few years I've done a lot of video editing for family and different projects at school. And I've really realized how much goes into creating something with, at that length. Uh, and I yeah. think the movie was an hour and, 10 minutes somewhere around there. So what I've gotten from watching it recently, Matt is the (laughs) just really understanding how much that you went through putting this all together. Cause I'm sure there were what, at least 20, 30 tapes of footage from our entire tour, quote unquote, that, you had to sort through and put together this entire documentary. So people listening who are not familiar with this, I'll toot Matt's horn a little bit. It's incredible. And 
there was a premiere for this this documentary that he put together for our tour. He did a fantastic job. It's it's really incredible and it sort of unofficially has been called the the Boffumentary, but I don't I don't think you actually called it that on YouTube. Uh, but I was I, I'm just so impressed with the amount of work and how great it came out from the my attempts of trying to do video editing the last few years. So you did an incredible job. So well hey. done, Matt. Thank you so much. Uh, I'd like to thank the Academy for recognizing me. This is it. This uh, is this like, is your Oscar. It's, right it's, here. it's honestly it's amazing what you can do when like you basically have to do it <laughs> to right. to get a degree, but also like. Yeah, like I had to kind of go through all those tapes and find the stuff that like kind of told the story and that I thought was interesting, but it was hard because everything was interesting to me. Like, oh, I got look at that, look at that. But a lot of it was just like stuff that might have looked cool or was funny to us. And I was like, I don't know if this really, <laughs> anybody needs to see this. But when we put out the DVD box set, all that stuff will be on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the interesting um, thing about it, and I, I mean, to kind of rip off the bandaid a little bit here, like at certain points, it, it paints a lot of us in not the best light. You know, at times it paints Tyler in not the best light. It paints me as kind of this asshole. Like, you know, it's yeah. like what we really had to do is been like, go for it. We trust you and just kind of give up everything that we did for this entire summer and you know re-watching it like there's part where i act like a complete baby and you know what that's what happened and that's what everybody uh, gets to watch you know it's true i don't i don't think i said enough at the time and i'll say it now like thank you to everybody who allowed me to just videotape you while everything was happening while like everything was kind of like going very badly there were parts <laughs> um, in the movie I'm where i'm very very grateful like no joke like i think about that part of it fights. Was there a fist fight? No, but I'm saying there could have been. There's one scene oh, yeah. at the very end Actually, where we're sitting in Denny's. I thought there was going to be a fight. Specifically, I want to say, I've always felt weird about that scene because uh, I've always, like, I never talked to Hex about it, you know? Like, I never said, like, hey, the, I'm including that part where you were mad at Tyler and then Jason said, like, I'll knock you out. or I can't remember exactly what he said. Yeah, because it's much. like it doesn't pay. It's like a really, it's like a really tense scene, and and like it's it's awkward. I've always felt awkward about it. I'm sorry, Hex, that I didn't talk to you about it before <laughs> before I put it in the movie, and then like showed it to everybody in the world who saw it. But yeah, it's like it was, that's a weird thing too. And also, like one of my best friends, Tyler, is like having a really difficult time during the whole tour, and I'm just pointing the camera at him, like. <laughs> So it made, fun, yeah. <laughs> right, but, like, but, but that was a good thing like, about I was watching like, it. I, the biggest asshole is probably me for just making that movie. <laughs> but here's the other interesting thing about it, Matt, that in this day and age, especially with COVID, the, the main focus, and especially for schools, and Tyler's wife, I'm sure, talks about this all the time, too, is that the main focus is wellness and mental health. And re-watching this, I, I'm thinking the whole time that what a great film to watch where we really prioritized mental health because that's really what happens because even though Tyler was having kind of a tough time adjusting, I really feel like the whole time, even when Jason is angry at the end of the movie, we all are supportive 
of our band members. It could have been me. It could have been Sean. It could have been you, Matt. It could have been anyone. But I, I really think that that's cool throughout the film that we are all just very supportive of each other. And if someone was having a tough time, was like we kept all of us, every one of us over and over would say, I know Tyler's having a tough time. I just want him to be happy. And I thought that was really good that even back then that our priority was mental health and not anything else other than that. Well, we really pushed that we were friends that before a band and that's kind of, that's yeah. the mindset I've always approached playing music with people. I was like, I'm just want to be friends with these people. It's not like I'm trying to get a product out. And it's so us looking out for one another, it's, seems like that would have come along and it would have been more offensive had it not been that way. Yeah. A couple yeah. things, a couple things I think of when I was t hearing you talk though, Matt, is that something I didn't really think, well, a couple things I had thought of while watching it to rewatching it today, Rob kind of touched on was definitely the awkwardness in some of the scenes, but um, something I hadn't really thought of until you kind of touched on a little bit is like you were lugging around a camera and tapes and all this shit, like throughout <laughs> all this, like, excursion like was that was that a burden on you at all or were you just kind of used to it from like being in film school and stuff or whatever it, well it was a pretty small camera and it was uh i shot it on mini dv so the tapes are like uh, well no one's gonna be able to see this yeah. it's very tiny you know it's like they're small tapes so it wasn't like i was i had a big camera with a boom mic or something the whole time it was like i purposely got a small camera that would look would film stuff that would look cool or it look like high quality enough for the time but also that I was really portable that I could just kind of like, it wasn't like a real strenuous thing or whatever. The other weird thing about that too, was like trying to film everything and also like live the experience of the tour, like not be like removed from it a lot, or, you know, like to try to be a part of it, to be in it and also like kind of step back and record stuff. That balance is a little tricky, but whatever. I remember you handling it pretty well. well. From you know, my recollections of it, I remember you being yeah. there also in the moment, but still having the camera out. You did a really good job of, of doing that. Thanks. We I haven't seen the movie since, you, since that <laughs> premiere, but yeah. yeah. You I think the fact enough. that I don't remember the camera being out means that it just became second nature. You see interviews with reality stars and they say things like if someone's on Survivor or, or like Big Brother, it ends up disappearing the camera and they just get used to it and they live their, their normal life. Like right yeah. now we're, we're on camera, we're being recorded, but we're just having a conversation. I'm not thinking about it until just this moment. And I think that's what ended up happening for us as it just kind of became second nature. Yeah. Uh, Matt or, and Brady did a lot of the filming too. So Brady's yeah. got the camera a lot of the time too. And uh, I, I think it just, if I don't remember it happening, I mean, I do specifically if I remember, but it just kind of became part of what we did. So that's something you kind of touched on there too, Rob, that I was going to mention that, and I don't know how much we'll dive into the tour because again, as, as we'll mention, there's not a ton of shows to talk about, but there's there's more like funny experiences and stuff. But obviously, Standfast was supposed to go on the tour with you guys and John 25 and I were going to roadie for them. And then you've, you've touched on Hex a few times roading for you guys. And then as we were kind of talking about before the interview too, it seems like Brady was kind of like the unsung hero, uh, the other roadie for you guys on this tour, obviously the other, the other guitar player in the Chuds too. Am, am I correct in that though? Like, was he just kind of like, it seems like he was like, I don't want to say comic relief, but just from watching the video, you can tell that it's like, <laughs> whenever there's like a tense moment, it's like, oh, here's Brady to kind of break the edge or whatever. Like, thank God. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't. I mean, he was there because he just we were all friends with him, and he wanted to be a roadie. So we we're like, yeah, come on. I mean, he was, he, you know, he's one of our best friends, and so we we're like, yeah, come on, come with us. There's one available seat in the minivan, so like you can have it, you know. That's another thing too to touch down. I'm not. I'm not sure how much you know the the minivan. Um, so obviously, you guys had seven people um, and and a ton of equipment and and mer- and some merch. Which, as I saw in the documentary, looked like some of that was stashed in a Wegman's uh, plastic bag at one point or another. Um, but one thing that I found very interesting in the documentary, which we're going to get to Elyria, Elyria, Ohio, in just a second is I don't know if you guys said it there or when you guys were packing the van, but you guys were like, man, this is a ton of stuff. Like there's no way we can fit all this stuff. And then, and then I'm thinking to myself, like, man, if you guys only knew what was to come in like six hours, like, Like, so like when you guys left Rochester before the, the, the excursion happened in Illyrio, like were you guys already like having to ditch stuff or was it just like, like completely like to capacity, like Bill and Ted with the phone booth or whatever, you know? Probably was to capacity. We had a thing on the top of the van, like a carrier, like a storage thing on the top of the van too. But yeah, we uh, Newark is definitely not a hotbed for car top carry. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> somebody from the somebody from the Newark Chamber of Commerce is going to see that and be like, "What? What the fuck did he just say about?" <laughs> oh, hilarious. So yeah, really, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I remember. The night before, I don't see that. The thing is, watching the documentary, I know the Hellfest thing happened. I don't know if the tour was supposed to start the next day or a couple days later. It seemed from what the I next watched day, I think next day from what I saw in the documentary, yeah. it seemed like that. I vaguely remember leaving with Stanfast and coming back. And then, as I mentioned in the episode, I'll, I'll just mention briefly. I remember, you know, packing with them the night before and being laughed at for having a suitcase, which again, I obviously didn't need a suitcase if I had known. <laughs> you no, know, I wouldn't have brought one. But we left early in the morning i think like i don't i don't remember the exact time but it was definitely early in the morning i remember just laying in the back of their van and being like yo what the fuck's that smell you know like hopefully that's somebody else or whatever you know and then obviously as you've seen the documentary we come to find out it's not somebody else and Illyria, ohio will always have a special place in my heart for for that day alone <laughs> and the one thing i'm thinking about while watching the documentary today and obviously as everybody knows from watching it and from listening to this podcast that van died and we did not have enough money uh, to pay for a van to go on the luxurious tour that you guys ended up going on afterwards. <laughs> so we came back home. And, and as I'm, what I'm getting at, though, is one thing I'm, while I'm watching that documentary is I'm like, man, you know, if we knew that this was going to turn out like this and, and like 20 years later, people would still be talking about it, we should have fucking thrown like a parking lot show at that mall and had like Stan yeah. Fast building on fire play for this like fucking mushroom head, like fucking shit town. You know what I mean? Like it would have been fucking insane. And, and yeah, like, why so didn't we do that? That's a good idea. I just thought of it tonight. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody's ever thought of it like before. You know, I don't think at that moment anybody had any clarity. It was just like, bro, we're going to soldier on and figure this thing out. You guys got to take the rest of the shit back to Rochester, <laughs> and this this whole situation sucks. How how are we going to keep going with this? Um, so I don't think there was any kind of nobody was feeling victorious. It was like, oh fuck, we said we were going to be at these gigs. We better show up. <laughs> And yeah, then we saw how that's that true. Out. <laughs> we tried to keep our end of the commitment. And, uh, yeah. The one victorious moment is, is watching the destruction of the, the fast van or whatever, obviously. But 
it still led to uh, all of us riding back in a U-Haul, many of them in the back of that U-Haul. So, um, <laughs> Which is nuts to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's I, crazy. Uh, I, I definitely uh, stress the word them uh, heavily in that conversation. I was never in the back of a U-Haul truck. So uh, shout out to John Olick, Licky, and Brian Van Etten. <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah, we'll get to, to the shows that, that, and everything that you guys played. We're on our way back, and, and it looks like from the documentary that the, the, the one person that I had actually like kind of talked to before that I knew could kind of set up a show uh, was that girl in, in Minneapolis. I forget what her name was. Caitlin. Um, What's that? Caitlin. Caitlin, that's Caitlin. right. Yeah. And I know her brother played in like Holding On and some other bands too. And that might have been how like I knew all them. Oh, I think cool. Rory might have known them too. But either way, like that show seemed like it actually kind of like happened or whatever, you know? Yeah. That was a good um, one. Yeah. That was good. But it does kind of like if you look at a map and see like the drives from like show to show, like we're already we're already going from rochester with a, a little pit stop in illyria to to minneapolis which it looks like you guys had stopped in illinois before yeah um, we there was supposed to be a chicago show fireside yeah, the first bowl. show was supposed to be at fireside i believe yep fireside bowl definitely i feel like she might have yeah, that's a good venue i feel like that girl I played might have that venue with one of my other bands did you uh one of the other things that i i wrote a note down about that minneapolis show is rewatching how insane it was that we got to this house and we went down in the basement. She opened up the closet and there was a, there were human remains in the closet. Like people listening, this is, I'm not kidding. Like if you watch the documentary, she opens the closet and there is a human rib cage skeleton and a portion of the skull just hanging in the closet. No big deal. Like like blew my mind like what am i doing here <laughs> just like well it's good to know that other people are like vouching for this girl but that scared the hell out of me <laughs> <laughs> and we were just like cool looks good yeah i can't wait to play <laughs> right. uh, we're in the right place this is our this is our vibe you know Another uh, great part that I, I found was interesting too is before that, we are all yelling at each other in the van. Like all of us. I'm driving, Jason is yelling at me, Sean is yelling at me, and we're trying to figure out where to go. But the craziest thing about this is now, if I need to go somewhere, I pull out my phone and I, I press a button. Or if I want to be really lazy, I press another button with a microphone on it and I just go Sears, which doesn't exist but it takes me to Sears, right? <laughs> so we just had maps, like yeah. we're all arguing like, no, you got it, Rob, you got to turn there. What are you doing? That was the turn, <laughs> that was it. No, you should have went there. And like, I'm thinking about it now. And now like there's a screen and it tells me like exactly where I need to go. And like 20 years ago, we just had this like Atlas that we had to like figure out. <laughs> And it was, it's just crazy how times have changed and like we're at each other's throats. Whereas now it's just like, bing, we're done. Well, shit, you know? even take, that to me just, yeah. Not to talk about something that has nothing to do with it, but go back five years before this tour would have been, and you would have been booking the shows through, uh, through the phone. Yeah. Through the phone. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Being fucking pen pals with people. It's yeah. like, yep. So technology changed that much up to that point where you could just send an email off but yeah i'm picking some map quest directions or whatever and <laughs> hope you don't lose them i think rob was the only one with a cell phone at the time i yeah, did I and i thought about that too there's one part 
in the documentary where I'm talking on the phone and the rest of the time I'm talking on a payphone, usually to my girlfriend at the time and my wife. Now I was talking to Mandy and I, w- I would be calling her and we would just call from regular payphone because I think that would that was more reasonable amount of money because I think at that point with having a cell phone, that was kind of like our fail safe. If something happened, we had that in the case of an emergency. But like I'm sure driving cross country, there had to have been huge places where there's no cell service at all. I mean, we know we see the maps now in the commercials that have the colors of where the service is. I can't believe that it had to have been that good way back in 2002. Like we could have been stranded on the side of the road. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, I got a cell phone. I'm all set. But we <laughs> probably weren't. You know, we probably weren't. So that that's that's another crazy thing about touring back then as well. And uh, actually, to backtrack just a little bit, it was funny watching the documentary because you're talking about cell phones. From van to van, we weren't using cell phones. Jay had, and I don't know who from Stanfest, they had bought them together. They had the walkie-talkies. And that's how they were communicating. Right van to van like now you would just text or call each other or like you know take a picture and send it to the person but like we're legit using walkie-talkies like what if your guys reception on the walkie-talkie had died and you didn't realize that our van was all fucked up and you guys just fucking rolled along to the show you never knew until we got back to rochester you know so i didn't think about this before like like if somebody from like someone who's young now would watch this movie and be like what are these idiots doing why are they (laughs) Why are they not using a cell phone? Why are they depending on like six people screaming at each other to get directions? You know? Why do they keep using those coasters? They keep putting these coasters in this thing and music comes out. Yeah, what, what, are, those, what are those things? Yeah, it's, it's, I, I, it doesn't, I mean, it is a long time ago, but it doesn't feel that long ago in a weird way. So I'm like, all of it makes sense to me, but it's a time capsule. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. Speaking of uh, putting these coasters in, did anybody notice that um, at one point there's like talking going on in the background? And I remember it actually is Brady taped like a bunch of movies onto a cassette (laughs) so he could listen to them. I think it's like the Big Lebowski maybe. Yeah, we're listening to the Big Lebowski. Yep. (laughs) It's like a a fucking book on tape or something. (laughs) I just thought, thought that was amazing. Yeah. Imagine kids kids now listening to something people I was talking about that. Like somebody actually like legit audio recorded a movie so they could listen to it in a car. Like when they could now just watch the movie on their phone or whatever. Like that's insane. You it know? was the Stone Age, you know. Yeah, exactly. So a couple other things that I noticed in the documentary that, that I kinda if you guys want to touch on it all that uh you guys and again this is obviously kind of turning into the roast of Josh Lyons at this point, but we're still trying to uh to book shows while on tour. So I noticed there was like phone calls being made to like try to talk to other promoters. Rob at one point called me to see if I had had any shows lined up, you know, and it, se- it seemed like from, from watching that, I kind of gathered that you guys did pull one show together while on tour, at least, you know, I could be wrong, but. And then the other thing was that I was noticing is it was just kind of, and again, you have seven people in a minivan. It was just kind of like sleeping anywhere and everywhere at, at some points in times, which, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with uh, the financial fallout from, from this and everything too, but it, you know. I feel like we got a, a hotel room once or maybe twice. Yeah, a couple, maybe a couple of times. Yeah. 
But other times I remember being so tired that I was going to pass out. So we'd pull over to the side of the road and just sit for like an hour or two. Or mm. I remember sleeping on uh, <laughs> uh, concrete park benches at <laughs> places. And then there's, then there's the infamous uh, camping. I'm not fucking camping. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Trying to squat in hotel parking lots and getting kicked out. Yeah. The I'm not camping thing definitely sounds like something like that. I will probably fill it on my do we have homeless person bingo card at some point. Because um, I've definitely seen it all there in the last few months. That's not something I've seen them like say back to somebody, but I'm sure I will. That's unrelated to obviously, but it just made me think of that. So another thing I'm thinking while watching this again is like seven people packed in the van is, and again, this is as, as again, an apology, but we're, we're driving through the middle of the country, which I, I caught a bus in 2006 to and from Denver and I had to go through the middle of the country and that, that shit is the worst, you know, and rewatching the documentary makes me like watch you guys. And I'm sure a lot of bands do that every summer, like, cause there's not a lot of places to play sometimes in the middle of the country. And that had to have been, uh, not the most interesting, uh, however many hours that is in a van or whatever. That, that stretch, you filled, you filled time. That stretch from Minneapolis to Fort Collins was, I remember that being a rough, a rough patch where it's just all flat, nothing. It's just straight yeah. and flat and not a whole hell of a lot going on. I think that was that time where we stopped in Iowa <laughs> and uh, I made the joke about this band called Vernacular that is a band where um, it's a you know bunch of young kids, but then one of the kids' dad plays drums. You guys remember that? Yeah, didn't you didn't you meet one of them mm-hmm. at the store there? Like we went yes. to like Sam Goody or something and they Yes. The, the irony of the whole thing is um, the dad was 45 and uh, he plays with his son in the band and I'm dangerously close to being 45 and watching that back. <laughs> you know, do I want to play in a band with my son or daughter? I don't know. Maybe we could call it vernacular. I don't know. That was kind of a, uh, an but, interesting, weird moment. So, um, yeah. What's really funny about that though is Rob and like I was mentioning beforehand, like you guys have so many weird, like quirky inside jokes. Like I'm watching that and seeing you and Hex go back and forth, just assuming you guys are like making it all up on the spot, you know, like not even thinking that there was like a real band or a real person because again, like no, it was real. Now, like no, now this real. is a, this is a summer of the Renaissance of Olympus or whatever. So like watching that kind of makes me think of like, that shitty band being popular 20 years ago. And I'm thinking like you guys just happen to see like an ad for, or hear them on the radio and you just made that all up. So now whatever town, whatever town vernacular is from, you know, shout out to vernacular and we're going to try our best to see if we can find you guys online and link you to this episode. You know, I think I actually well, found the CD not too long ago. I think I might've posted it on Instagram. You uh, did? I, I, I think I had it. Yeah. I, Shit. I, I have to go back and look, but I think I had the CD. Well, that dad's going to be turning 65. So I don't know if he's still <laughs> playing drums in that band. Can you imagine if they're still kicking it around now? That would be, that would be so sick. Now, his kid's got a kid. now he's the grandpa playing drums. Three, yeah. three, three, three yeah. generations of uh, <laughs> vernacular. Well, I think oh, they're playing man. Coachella this year. God. So the, the, the main thing of this whole tour that I like the main reason why I wanted to go with Stan fast. And I think the main reason why a lot of us were excited was like the whole California thing. 
I don't know if anybody had been there like on vacation or anything. Like I was born there. So when I was a real little kid, I, I, I was there, but up until I, the, the cross country traveling, I was just talking about, I, I didn't have any memories in California. So I was definitely excited to go there and have some fun experiences there. Again, watching the documentary, not all the experiences look like fun, but I still really envy you guys having, you know, been out there at that point as a band and, and then, you know, even played a few shows out there. So I think this is a part of the tour I'm actually like most excited to kind of hear your guys memories of because there is at least one show that we were talking about before that you guys played too that was with a few noteworthy bands. Yeah, I mean we played San Diego with Run for Your Fucking Life and what was the other band? Examination. Examination of the woman who hosted us and put on the show who was in the band Duraguy whose name I can't remember right now. Did we were we talking to does anyone know her name? <laughs> I don't remember her name. But. I feel like it started with an L, but I can't remember. I don't remember. But that was a really cool show. That was like one of the like quote unquote like the one of the real shows we played on that tour. <laughs> California was weird because we had like the Riverside California experience, which was like dude. It's like hard to process, and then and then we were in like San Francisco for a day, like just kind of bumming around, and that was awesome. And then we went. We had to go to Amoeba. I forgot. Yeah, where, is that where uh, Rob scared the birds? Yes. <laughs> that, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And then they ended up scaring the hell out of me. <laughs> I don't know if does someone want to tell the Riverside California story. So all I, I just know the. I know the punchline of this story, uh, but I'll let someone tell the actual story. The setup is that we drove in and we're on the outskirts of Los Angeles and we pull up to this bar and it's pitch black and we're ready to play the show and we go inside and we need to borrow equipment because those of you listening who don't know, we're in a minivan and we really only have our guitar heads, guitars, and what, did you have a snare, Tyler? Yeah, a snare cymbals? drum and a couple of drumsticks and that was it. Right and a Wegmans bag with a couple seven inches in it. So I'm going to let someone else pick it up from here because it's a hilarious story, and I know the punchline. I'll let someone else tell it because I can't remember it. So I remember, first of all, us trying to find that place, it being us going down these super dark rural roads like we were going to end up at the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. And just being yeah, there were no lights anywhere. No. There were no lights outside of the bar either. Nope. And I was like, what, what are we doing? Are we going the right place to the right place? So we get there and, uh, <laughs> and we're trying to explain to, or we're going around asking people if, if we can, uh, if we can use their equipment cause we got none. And, um, Matt's having trouble with his camera because it, it, oh, yeah. it got like locked or something. And something happened that it was, it stopped working for some reason. And I was like, Oh no, Oh no, oh, no. That place was just cursed in general. But yeah, anyway. So, so we, uh, I think Rob goes up and asks the, the, one of the other bands and the other guy, the guy is like, yep, bass cab's up there. And, and, I don't, I don't know if the base cab was up there or <laughs> they didn't understand exactly like uh, that we needed more than just a base cab, but like just kept repeating that. And, and between that whole situation, trying to understand how we could get equipment to play between <laughs> that and the camera, everybody was just pissed off and annoyed. And we ended up just not playing <laughs> um, because the base cab's up there. 
<laughs> we kept saying it over and over. And I think I would say, yeah, well, we need guitar cabinets and we need drums. And, and I think every time his response was, yeah, the bass cab's over there. I'm like, no, 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 no. We need a cabinet. We need a drum set. Yeah, bass cab's right there. <laughs> and then that became an inside joke for the rest of the tour. We would just be like driving along and someone would say, hey, can we stop up here and go to the bathroom? Sure, bass cab's right there. <laughs> that became like our inside joke the rest of the tour. But like, you know, we don't have, that part's not part of the documentary, but I remember yeah. it as, you know. Yeah, I don't know if it shows in the movie. Moment. I don't recall there even being another fucking band there. Like somebody was finishing up or something. Or Yeah, there was also, there was, there was no the fear there the, whatsoever. The flyer for the show was good too. It was just like, it was like somebody just printed it off their computer. Like they just typed a few different fonts for each band. And they spelled Stanfast's name wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. And we get in there, like, you're just talking to somebody who's a robot who can only say one thing, and it's bass cab right there. And then the camera dies. It's like, I think we need we need to get the... I remember just being like, I want to get the fuck out of here. Yep. Uh, I remember we left, and we needed gas. And I thought it was so cool that we stopped and got gas in Compton. You guys remember that? So we got off no, the exit, and we were that. in Compton. Oh, yeah. It was, it was at like exciting. six o'clock in the morning, I think. Yes, correct. So we we pull off and hmm. then we get gas and we're in Compton, and then we get back on the expressway and we're driving in on this LA freeway. And the thing I remember because I, I was the one driving at this point, I had never driven on a road before that had like ten lanes. And I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think there were literally ten lanes across. And I'm just kind of driving and looking back and forth, like. I can't believe there's 10 <laughs> lanes here. It was just really bizarre. Like yeah. California was cool. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I went there one other time since I, I worked at San Diego comic con one summer, loved it. So I've only really been twice, but, uh, it's, uh, it's California is such a cool place. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't told Sarah yet, but at some point next year, I'm going to have to get them or myself at least out there to do some, you know, networking for this, stuff so we'll figure yeah. out how that's gonna work yeah. out but it's gotta happen soon so and, and i've been there once like i said and it's definitely a cool place uh so another thing that i kind of remember is somebody brought back some catalogs for some of the services that were offered in the next uh town that we're going to talk about and i was laughing at those <laughs> and does brady have family there is that where you guys were staying with people and got ah. fed up fed really well we're talking about vegas now obviously yeah that was his, yeah. that was that was brady's uncle aunt and uncle and I, I was thinking about that earlier today and just about how much she made us nachos like the first night we were there and I was like, dude, these nachos are awesome. And then I it looked really good. I, I remember eating the nachos and then I think I laid down and slept for like 13 hours straight, something like that. And and their pool and just having that pool it was like radical. I felt like, like we just I was, really needed it. Because yeah. I don't think we've we had a shower in days. So the fact that we're in a pool with heavy chlorine really just bleached all of the dirt <laughs> off of us, which felt really good. I remember. And we're in the pool and and I think me and Sean and Jason were all doing like wrestling moves in the pool. And you guys gave me like, um, I don't know, like an RKO or a DDT or something into the pool. It was just a lot of fun. I mean, it, it's kind of what we needed at that point. So Brady definitely saved us at that moment. Yeah. We, that was another, another, I think like another show where we get there and it's like completely sketchy. I think it was it a strip club. It was a strip mall, uh, yeah. Well, Vegas was where they wouldn't let Tyler 
Oh. Tyler could only come in to the show if he like he could only be in the bar when he was playing. Otherwise, That's he would right. have to be I forgot outside. about that because it was a bar. It's twenty one, you know, plus or whatever. I was thinking of the Albuquerque show. That's the one that was in the strip mall. And yeah, that one was uh, decent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, th- I'd like to talk about, when we get to that point, talk about the house that we stayed at for that. Oh, God. Oh, but that was the first fun. time I've ever seen a scorpion in the wild. <laughs> um, the, There's a scorpion in the house or outside? No, outside. Oh. outside. Um, I remember, so like that trip from California to I think Las Vegas, I, is that where it got the the van got so hot because it was like 107 or something that we had to turn the heat on so yeah that, oh that was, yeah that was yeah but also the air conditioning broke during during while we were traveling i don't remember where it was but yeah it was it was in that area because i remember i remember uh just being like i can't believe i'm in the fucking desert and i have <laughs> now this is ridiculous i don't think i could survive that now i don't know I'd probably jump jump out of the moving car and <laughs> wander off into the desert. I don't know what the over-under was for this episode, but uh, I apologize again. From watching the documentary, I, I don't remember there being a ton more shows. Obviously, Sean, you want to talk about Albuquerque. I know before we were talking about this too, though, you guys were talking about a show in Georgia too? Could that have possibly been on the same tour? And we'll get to it no, after. That was a no, different tour. Separate, yeah. separate tour. Okay. That, that was a summer after. Yeah. Okay. Another tour that I probably helped book i'm surprised you guys would have let me help you out another year again after but we'll, uh, that's that's for another <laughs> right. night we're not mad at you yeah. I, I feel like you think we're mad at you and we're not like yeah, honestly it was such a great opportunity and i mean we're traveling the country with you know our some of our closest friends we had a great time so many funny things happened there's some really low lows but there were some high highs we're not mad we got the opportunity to do it it was one of the most fun things i ever got to do yeah, I don't ever remember cursing you, Josh. I don't ever remember going like, man, this fucking guy, what the... I don't ever remember there being a minute of that. Um, it just, it was just the circumstance of everything, the time period, and and just kind of what was going on. There weren't strong... We expected every place to show up, kind of be like Rochester, where there was a strong scene, because what the fuck is Rochester? If Rochester's got something, well, shit, everybody else has something. And... Right. um showing up place after place after place and it's either junkies or party guys or fucking whatever. And, uh, we're just like, Oh, okay. I guess this is what's going on. But never, I don't think was there a moment where like, man, what the fuck did Josh do to us here? It was never, nope. I don't, so whatever feelings you may have had for all these years, I, I don't, I don't recall that being sentimental. I never Not, really thought we were just along for the ride either. It was, you know, yeah. shit. Somebody took the time to try to put this together. Like, uh, I never thought of you guys saying like, fuck it. I was, it was more just like kind of embarrassing. Like I wish things would have worked out a little better, obviously, you know, but again, looking back on it, like, as you're mentioning Rob about traveling around and having fun, like I'm envious of that opportunity. Cause I feel like even if Stanfast would have ended up along for this ride, like it's still, the show still might've turned out the same, but it would have, we'd have even more crazy, funny stories to tell. You know what I mean? So, yep. um, but was there anything else in between Vegas and Albuquerque, Sean, or is that, would that be the next, uh, the next stop with the crazy uh, scorpion you were starting to reference before. I think that's the last stop. Um, uh, actually, I think that's the last show we played. But <laughs> so we stayed at this dude's house and he owned a comic book shop. That was his deal. Um, and the show was at like a, um, uh, I can't even think of the word, like a common space for punk kids kind of thing. He let us stay at his house 
I think it was his house. So we're, we're staying in this house in, in uh, Albuquerque and it was the filthiest place that I've ever stepped foot in. Um, yep. I remember, I remember taking a shower in the morning and like, there's just like black stuff all over the shower. I felt dirtier getting in the shower than I was getting at, when I was done. And uh, I'll never forget waking up on the couch and looking down at the floor and they had tile uh, flooring and in the grout, in between the grout are just these ants just marching along. And I'm not talking like a few ants. I'm talking like a shitload yep. of ants. And, oh yeah. I woke up with ants on my arm. Yep. And, and then I think that, that, that day I talked to um, Jason and I think Tyler was with them. They had gone for a walk at night and I think they might've slept in the van, but I, yeah, I slept in a van for that. I don't recall anything. I don't think I even would in that fucking house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I remember you guys told me you were walking and you stepped in a manhole cover and cockroaches just shot out of it everywhere. <laughs> um, just so. Yeah. I remember walking down the sidewalk and just seeing them. They just scurry everywhere. I'm like, what the fuck is going on in this place? <laughs> roaches here <laughs> it's crazy crazy uh, and you know being where we are we don't see that that's not that's not common up here yeah sean is the word you were looking for before uh squat or no no it was uh, it was like the house like the food oh uh, no uh are you talking about where the show was josh just or, all this crazy shit you're talking about with the, oh, the, no. whatever was, the, common, the common space for punks where all the dirty stuff was or whatever, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, that was the show. The show was uh, in a strip mall. Right. It was like uh, in a, uh, one of those like parts of the strip mall uh, and the house was in a separate like neighborhood. It was in a normal neighborhood. Yeah. It was wild. I'd never experienced anything like that. <laughs> uh, so that, I'm guessing you guys were, like you were saying, was the end of the, the tour pretty much. And the number I think we came up with uh, in 21 days was, was it five? five? Shows, yeah. Five shows? Five, and then Hellfest is six, if you want to count that. But that's, that's kind of a home show for us. Yeah, that's another thing I was thinking of, too. Was there a, Would there have been a pre-Hellfest picnic that you guys in Stanfest would have probably played that year, too? Like, I, I always... I know there was one every year, but... Yeah, I think... We, I, think I know there was. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if we played it, though. It we seems like to. if you guys, yeah, so I'm saying if you, if you guys were doing the tour, it seems like that would have been the, the kickoff. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we yeah. did if we did. Yeah. Gigs are not my strong. I don't remember the gig, gigs that much, but, um, but get, yeah, that's natural. There's no way that we didn't. Yeah. After Albuquerque, I think that's when Tyler leaves and then we get to Texas. And then I was like, okay, I'm done. And I just bought a plane ticket and flew home which is a good thing, bad thing. I mean, you know, I, I bailed, which is kind of a, a shitty thing, but I think it gave more room for these guys in the van. Oh, man. <laughs> you don't have one extra stinky guy. It was super nice. can stretch out a little bit. <laughs> and then we, yeah, we went to Dallas and then, yeah, then I think it was the, what was that, four or five of us at that point then? Yeah. We went through Arkansas, and then we're, we were in Louisville, I think. Yeah, we were in Louisville. We stayed there. It was, I think that was the same time that Crazy Fest was happening, and there was discussions about maybe uh, – I feel like Hex thought maybe he'd go check that out and stay there. Oh, yeah, that's right. But then uh, he didn't or something, and then – I don't think he ended up doing that. And then we just drove home. That, yep. The last leg of it is just kind of a blur, but 
I mean, all of it's a blur now, but it was uh, one thing too. Like you would think, obviously, kind of wrapping up the tour discussion. Like hearing these stories, obviously, there's a lot of fun times, but there's a lot of down times, and you might think that a band would like you know break up or disband or go on hiatus after something like this but like you guys definitely didn't do anything like that you guys stayed strong after this for at least a year and a half two years right because yeah. we've been friends our whole life also i felt like after the tour it was more like it's not like we did anything wrong you know what i mean like like we were fine it was you know the world that was against us or, or america was against us or something but so like, there's no reason why we shouldn't keep going. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, we just kind of picked pick back up as, you know, when we all met up back at home, we took a couple of days break from one another and then that was it. We were back doing what we do. One of the things that comes up a lot in the documentary is Jason says, when we're in Portland, he goes, I am never going to be mad at you guys. And like, puts his <laughs> arms out like this and... And then, like, that was kind of an important moment. And then later on, it's referenced. I think maybe Matt references it and says, you know, you said you weren't going to be mad at anybody, which ended up kind of being the truth. Um, it comes yeah. back up. If it wasn't mad, it was somebody Somebody else brings it up. Yeah, and I says, remember, yeah. Jason, you said you weren't going to be mad. He goes, well, I'm not going to be mad, but, like, I'm not going to punch you or whatever, but we'll just move <laughs> on and we'll just keep doing the band, which was true because yeah. – Obviously, he didn't punch anybody, and we moved on, and we continued the band when we got home, and we did what we did, uh, two more records after that. One Josh put out, and the next one uh, um, came out like 15, 18 years later. <laughs> well, that's another thing I envy you guys for yeah. is for making it around the country without like getting into a fight, because I know if if we had gone on tour with Stanfest, <laughs> I would have gotten into at least a couple of fist fights and... I can imagine John Olick splitting my throat one night too for saying something really stupid too. So, you know, there's, you know, you guys made it around there and nothing like that happened. So <laughs> I guess we'll kind of wrap up the tour discussion and then I'll kind of go around and ask you guys kind of about like bands you guys have done since then, not for like two hours, obviously, but just so people know, like, you know, what to look for from you guys. Um, but I've kind of shared, you know, my thoughts on, on the whole experience and everything. Like, do you guys have anything else you guys want to add to wrap it up? I guess we'll kind of go around and start with Rob this time. Sure. Um, after Building on Fire, I, um, I did a band with some of the guys from Stanfest called Marathon. And um, we did Marathon for a while. And then I ended up leaving the band because they were going to tour full time and I had a full time teaching job. So I left the band. They kept going and created an amazing record after I left. So way to go. Uh, and then after that, I started a band called uh, Achilles with uh, some of the guys from the Breaking Project and Rory from Stanfast. And uh, I did another side project called Longest War with uh, Mike Jeffers from uh, one of my older bands called Union and Dead to the World. And uh, Chris Logan from Chokehold is the singer. And that's what I've been doing since then. And uh, I know Matt and Tyler's music kind of has a little overlap too, but I guess, Matt, I'll, I'll ask you next, like kind of what you've done uh, since uh, Building on Fire, I guess. Yeah, so a lot of things with Tyler, um, especially in the last 10 years, we were in a band called School Shootings. Um, we were in a band called Sulk. We were most recently in a band called Stress um, that had a seven inch that just came out on uh, Sore Ear Collective. Um, then we have a full length that'll be out uh, digitally, maybe later this year, and then as an LP sometime in the next <laughs> five to 10 years or something, whatever the, however the vinyl pressing 
shit works. But um, we were also in a band called Carpet Crawlers, which played one show. Um, and I've been in a few other bands too. I was in a band called Pleistocene for a couple of years. Um, and I've been in a band called Richard Snare for a while with Casey Smith, who's uh, the director of Girls Rock Rochester. Um, trying to think if there's anything Potter else. Did that. What's that? My daughter did Girls Rock Rochester. Yes, Great program. Your, yes, your daughter did Girls Rock Rochester. Yeah. Um, I think that covers all the stuff I've done since. Oh, oh we were in a band called Ten Tents. Tyler awesome. and, and Brady and uh, Leah. Uh, we were in a band called Ten Tents, like maybe a couple of years after Building on Fire stopped. I think that's everything I've done. I would definitely want to talk to you guys more about school shootings at some point. I was always kind of curious about how all that came together. Um, <laughs> sure. But again, you know, for another day, because we're kind of pushing two hours now. As yeah, it is. yeah, yeah. Um, Tyler, I feel like Matt probably covered a lot of the stuff you Yeah, done. he covered um, most of it. I did a sorry, couple, other, <laughs> a couple other bands in there, too, but Matt pretty one, much covered. One band we haven't talked about a lot tonight, and again, I, I would like to talk to you guys again at some point about school shootings. So maybe we'll talk more about then, too. But another band you did that we didn't talk about at all during Bill M. Fire was The Exam. Um, oh yeah, and obviously a lot of people here were were fond of that band then. Then, and I feel like you know people now still probably look at that band, you know. And so, um, Matt, were you in that band too? I know Rob and I were trying to figure it out earlier. We couldn't remember who played. Yeah, bass. I played bass in that band too. Yeah, there's a there's a pretty good video of uh, one of their. It was at your last show, uh, up on that's up, up on YouTube somewhere. Uh, you can see me acting the fool um, <laughs> uh, during that. But uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good glimpse into that. Was that someone in Fairport? It's in a lodge. Okay. I'm not sure which one. I think it's the one off of Westfall, if I remember. Brighton Town Park. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's it. Um, I was remembering the one where someone got on my shoulders and there were like chicken fights going on. I think we were running around while you guys were playing. <laughs> that was that was one of the Fairport shows. I could yeah, drive there, but I can't remember. I think it was a BFW hall or something. That, was yeah. that during the Hatebreed cover? <laughs> yes, it was, it was there, during that that show. I've got a picture of that. Of I think Kelly <laughs> is on your shoulders, and oh my god, Dave yeah, might be on Oleg's shoulders. Oh, I remember. Recall, but I got a picture yep. of it somewhere. We did a Hatebreed cover. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, at that, yeah. Yeah, that oh. show. That. That Don't show, remember. like that time period, was definitely like pivotal to me, like just for Rochester, like hardcore, and again, like what I was talking about earlier about the community and just like all the people, like 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 I I couldn't tell you all the bands that played that show at all. I could just tell you like where it was and like you guys played, but just like the moments of like like just seeing like the same certain people and like hanging out and stuff are things that I won't forget, you know. So, Sean, I guess any other? Uh, I know you have a musical project that you guys have been working on that Greg and I have talked about on the podcast a few times, but anything else since uh, Philly on Fire? And if you want to talk about that too, obviously. No, I didn't have anything. I, I the, One of the reasons I stopped playing music afterwards is because I was having like panic attacks at shows um, and I didn't enjoy having that anymore. <laughs> and then, and I moved to Florida and I didn't really know anybody down there and didn't go to the to, to shows and whatnot. So um, I didn't really do anything until, uh, Greg hit me up. And is that, is that something you guys are still, I know Greg's got stuff going on with his family, but are you guys still trying to do stuff with that band at yep. some point? Or? Yep. Yeah. We're practicing Sunday. Nice. Ooh. 
so I think that pretty much wraps up most of the stuff that I had to cover tonight. Um, I guess, is there anything you guys want to add to, to wrap things up, I guess? I feel like we need another, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to pitch another episode, but like we didn't get into one plus one equals blue or the later tours or, <laughs> or anything. I mean, it's, well, that's, we got, we got the gist of what the band was, I guess. I don't know. Like you mentioned Velvet Elvis off air earlier. And I was thinking about that. I was like, I was like, again, the Georgia thing, I was like, man, there's, there was, there was good shows booked. So it would be nice to talk about like, you know, a, a good experiences too. And there's definitely stories from that, that tour as well. Like the exploding tire. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. That. And we stayed at that one motel and we came out and there was, uh, there was a like, crazy mayhem going on in the parking lot. We almost got shot. I don't know if you guys remember that one. Playing. Yeah. I got photos of that. Yeah, Whoa, I have really? photos of that one. Uh-huh. The guy so, with a shotgun on his lap. What? Well, <laughs> fuck that. I don't remember. Yeah. I, the, the other thing is, like, I have video of those other tours, too. Like, there's, you know. We'll have to I should go back well, and watch them and be like, because I don't remember that at all. This is just a trailer for the next episode, then, <laughs> folks. Yeah, part two. So, going back to the whole inside joke, weird thing, this is going to sound really funny. Um, it's like midnight while we're recording this. And also another random unrelated thing to what I'm about to say is uh, we happened to record this episode on Friday the 13th and you guys made Friday the 13th shirts. So I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't point that out. Um, That's right. But yeah. so it's like midnight right after Friday the 13th and I'm sitting in my basement and all of a sudden I can hear, I can't tell for sure though, but I think it's crickets. And I'm like, yo, is, is it really crickets though? Or is Sean fucking around on the, on the microphone right now? <laughs> Yeah, so nice. I, I got I finally figured out it really was real crickets, but like it took me a second because I'm talking <laughs> to you guys and I'm like, we would be at shows though back then, and I I can't remember who the girl was, but there was one time where the girl was like, where is it even coming from right now, you know? And then like <laughs> he waited till she turned around, and he just kept doing it and doing it and doing it, and that like hilarious, you know? So yeah, if anyone's interested in the that uh, Friday the Thirteenth shirt, hit me up. It's uh, it's online for sale right now. If you want one, we'll post. Yeah, I want to we'll get one of those in the uh, Leatherface one. I still got to pick those up. Yep, I got that too. And this, uh, <laughs> I know you can't you can't see it if you're on the podcast, but uh, hit me up if you're Ugh. interested in any building on fire merch. I'm sure zero of you will do that. <laughs> <laughs> I t I never got one of the. Uh, we did a pin that said Boff. It's French for whatever, because yeah. Boff is <laughs> is it actually a slang term for whatever in, in French? Oof. No, that's the joke. I think that's uh -oh. yeah. I think it's just bullshit. Oh, okay. I get I get it now. Speaking of t-shirts too, do you guys remember? I think it was Ben Yanda who found uh, one of our t-shirts at Reflections in Newark. Somebody was selling it. Oh no! Which that? one? The uh, I think it was the, the either the eighteen visions cut my hair or the uh, the photo. <laughs> I don't remember the 18 visions cut my hair. Oh my god, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, uh, somebody found it. I can't remember who. Hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, again, I appreciate you guys coming on tonight. Um, I don't know if anybody else has any closing comments. Uh, otherwise, I'll probably just do my usual final wrap up in a second here. I'm I'm, I'm good. Thanks. All right, so I guess that wraps up episode 37. I want to thank Rob, Matt, Tyler, and Sean for coming out and doing this tonight. 
Um, also, shout out to Jason for being a part of uh, Build Empire. It definitely wouldn't have happened without him. And as I've said in previous episodes, he was definitely one of my favorite front men from that era. Future episodes of the podcast will include interviews with uh, Aiden and, and Jim from Borrow Time, uh, Jimmy Stat from Polar Bear Club, Chris from Borrow Time, and a bunch of other ones. So just give us a follow on Instagram Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Thanks again.